Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Can you stand to your feet as we read God's Word this morning? I just believe that we should always stand when we um, read God's Word. So I want to read together this morning, um, read this passage of Scripture. And if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 14 through 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read together corporately. Um, and so um, I want you to do this. I want you to, all fellas, I need your help. I need you to say it with your chest. I need you to read real loud. Ladies, you can read at your regular, uh, regular octave, whatever that is, A flat, B flat, whatever you read in, whatever. Um, fellas, I need you to read big and strong with you, guy with the jean jacket. I need you to read big and strong. All right, all right. Not too cool for school. I'm just. I know I'm just messing with him. Um, I, I need y'all to read real, real big. If you got a squeaky voice, pretend that you got a bass. Got bass in your voice. All right. Read, fellas. I know sometimes we struggle reading comprehension. Fellas, just just listen to the lady sitting next to you and pick up where she is. All right. <laughs> Like, I was trying to say, like, before he, um, the, the God so loved. So, fellas, let's do our best, all right? Fellas, do our best. One, two, ready, read. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our opportunity to study your word this morning. Lord, I pray for your people this morning, God, that their hearts will be receptive to receive. Lord, I pray that your word transform, renews our minds, God. I pray, God, that the light bulb will go off today, Lord. Um, Father, set the pace this morning for our 2020, God. Set the pace this year, God. Give us the strength to finish strong, Lord. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we have clarity, God, that we have clear communication, God, that we have an understanding, Lord. I pray ultimately, Lord, that your son Jesus would be glorified, God, that he would be exalted this morning, God. Um, so, Father, um, I pray your son would be known, Lord. For those here, God, that may be outside of the faith, God, I pray that the gospel of Jesus would be so attractive, so compelling to them, God, that they surrender their lives, God. For those of us who are in Christ, in faith, Lord, I pray um, this morning, God, that you would make us strong, God, that we would uh, be entrenched in your word, entrenched, God, um, with you in our relationship, Lord. And so, Father, we just thank you this morning. I thank you for all the beautiful people that have gathered this morning. God, I pray that we will be blessed by your word this morning. And we pray this prayer in your son Jesus' name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. 
I honestly believe, I don't have an elaborate story. I typically have a story at the outset of my sermon, but I don't have one this morning. I honestly believe that for many of us, just from talking to people and from my own experience, I believe that 2019 was a demon. I just do. I just believe 2019 was its own demonic force. Um, 2019 was a year full of ups and downs. It seemingly, seemingly had more um, downs than up. It, it was a challenging year for a lot, of, a lot of people. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired around about December, just keeping it honest with you. And so I think for us, as we look at the new year, I think that more than anything that needs to change in our outward life and our existential circumstances, I think what needs to change for us is our perspective in the way we see things. I think oftentimes in the life of a believer, we become, um, we become distracted, we become disappointed, we become frustrated in our relationship with God, in our relationship with others, because we don't have a proper vantage point of the way that things should be. And typically what happens is when we take our eyes off God, we take our eyes off Jesus, we see things through our own lens and through our own worldview, which is always going to set us up for disappointment. And so here's what I want you to realize. Maybe you think that your previous year was somewhat of a disappointment. Maybe you didn't accomplish everything that you set out to accomplish. Maybe you didn't accomplish anything at all. Maybe you found yourself in 2019 in straight out survival mode. But I don't want you to judge what happened to you in a previous year by external circumstances. I want you to judge whether it was a success or a failure by what God did inside of your heart. You see, you may not have had all of the money that you wanted to have last year, but maybe God showed you that he was a provider and you learned to be content with what you had. That's not a failure. That's actually a success. Maybe everything in your life, every relationship did not work out the way that you thought it would. Maybe there was not as much peace that you thought you would have with another person. But in that chaotic situation, maybe God became your peace and you realize that my peace doesn't come from people. My peace comes from God. That's not a failure. That's a success. Maybe maybe I had seasons of, of the year where I was down and out and depressed because things didn't go my way. I had some plans and they worked the opposite. Maybe things that I was expecting to happen did not happen. Maybe things were far worse than I thought they were and I got down and out and in and, and some way, somehow, I realized that my joy didn't come from my external circumstances. My joy came from God. I learned in my disappointments and in my depression that joy didn't come from a job promotion. Joy didn't come from a relationship. So even when we broke up, I still had the joy of the Lord in my heart. That's not a failure. That's actually a success. And so maybe for this year, we cannot judge how the year goes. Maybe in December of 2020, you should not look back and feel like the year was a failure because you didn't see the outward things that you were striving for. But maybe you should take a different vantage point and see if the year was a success by what God did in you, not outwardly what happened to you. And so here we have in this letter today, uh, 2 Corinthians is the Apostle Paul who writes a lot of the letters in the New Testament. It is one of his most personal and intense letters. This is a church that he loved dearly. He introduced the gospel to them. He saved their lives with the message and the good news of Jesus Christ. But somehow, some way, after Paul left Corinth, the Corinthian church were, got distracted because there were some within the church that were teaching a different 
gospel than the one that the Apostle Paul introduced them to. Now, if you know anything about the gospel, the gospel is not about human power. The gospel is not about human success. The gospel is not about human achievement. The gospel is about dying to self, and the gospel is about the victory of the suffering servant on the cross who overcame sin and death for you and I. The, the, the victory on the cross is not about outward boasting. It's not about what humans can do in their own power, but it is what God did for us on the cross by dying for us and being raised to life that in him we have victory. And so they were telling these people that things are not good because we don't see them with our outward appearances. But Paul is like, no, the good news of the gospel is that your life has been changed. That God may not have changed circumstances for you outwardly, but he changed something for you inwardly. And so they were distracted because someone in the church or some ones in the church were preaching a different gospel. They were preaching a gospel of outward appearances. And I think it's pertinent for us because in our Christian walk, we tend to judge God based on what we have and what we've accomplished. Where God is not so much concerned about what you can accumulate, but God is more concerned about the change that happens on the inside of you. See, it makes no difference if you, this difference if you get a job promotion, but your attitude still sucks. It makes no, job, no difference if you get a new man, but you still take in the old habits that you had with the old man. Maybe it doesn't matter if you get a job promotion, but you still take the same tardiness to your new job promotion. You see, that means something happened for you outwardly, but nothing happened to you inwardly. And God is more concerned with what happens on the inside of you than what happens on the outside of you. Because you can have all the trappings of the world and God consider you a failure, but you can have nothing in the world be changed on the inside and God considers you a success. And so we have to change our perspective. And so the church at Corinth was in danger of the temptation, of falling victim to the temptation to measure everything by outward appearances. But let me tell you, if you measure everything by outward appearances, that's fool's goal. That is fool's goal. God is more concerned with what happens to you internally than what happens to you externally. God would rather you have an upgrade in your attitude than you get a new job. God would have you have some more self-control than you get into a new relationship. God would rather you be, learn to be a good steward over the money that you do have rather than being a bad steward over what you now have accumulated. God, God is more concerned about what happens inwardly than he is with what happens outwardly. But not only that, we have to look differently this year at what we're trying to accomplish and why. If you are a believer, if you are a Christian, the goal of your life is not to please you, but it's to please the one who died for you. And so here's what it says in verse 14 in the text. Here's what the apostle Paul says. He says, for the love of Christ compels us. For the love of Christ compels us since we have reached this conclusion if one died for all then all have died my first point this morning is Christ's love towards us has to be the driving force of our lives Christ's love towards us has to be the driving force in our lives we as believers are motivated by the love of Christ this is not our love for him but this is his love for us if we are being honest in here we cannot be motivated by our own love for Jesus because our 
motivation for Jesus, it wanes with our feelings. Sometimes we feel in Jesus and sometimes we're not. We are so fickle in our relationship with him, but God is always the same in his relationship with us. God always loves us once we're in Christ. We, he has more grace than we have sin. He has more patience than we have. He has more of everything that we have that you can't do anything to make God stop loving you. That has to be the driving force in our lives that we wake up one morning and realize I messed up, but God still loves me. That I've done everything I can for God to walk away from me and God is still here for me. That that should be the driving force. That should be what drives us and motivates our lives. God's demonstration of love for us was on full display on the cross. He sent his son to stand in our place when we were unable to help ourselves. Romans says that yet while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God loved us even when we were at our worst. And when somebody is willing to die for you when you don't deserve it, you owe that person worship. You, 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 owe, you owe them not just something, but you owe them your life. And so Paul is trying to tell them when Christ died, that was our death. He died in our place. He did not deserve to die. We deserve to die. But he loved us so much that he said, wait a minute, Father. I don't know what you're about to do to them, but I will stand in their place and take on their punishment. I will take on your wrath because I love them so much. That love should motivate you to live for Jesus if no one else if nothing else does. You see, if you base it on what you can accomplish, then your love for God will be fickle. If you base it on you having good health, it'll be fickle. If you base it on having peace in your marriage, it'll be fickle. If you base it on having peace in your relationship, it'll be fickle. If you base it on the people at your job, it'll be fickle. But when you think about God's love for us, that never changes, that his love for us is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It changes everything. The overpowering love of Christ controls us, and it calls for us to respond to it. But here's the problem. Here's what happens with us. We lose our awe of God. Here's what I mean. We become common with God. For those of us who are, who are saved like like for real saved, not new saved, but the, the for real saved, like you remember the moment you got saved. You remember the moment you gave your life to Jesus. You remember the tears that you cried. You remember feeling the weight of the world being lifted off your shoulders. When you first fell in love with Jesus, if you fell in love with him for real, it changed your entire life. It was something new. It was like a kid on Christmas morning that had been begging for a bike and finally got the bike that they wanted and they couldn't stop riding it for weeks because it was what they always wanted. And when you fall in love with Jesus, it is like that. It is like when you first get into a relationship not, not a year later when you realize they're a sinner just like you but when you first get into the relationship and you got butterflies and you're texting them every morning good morning beautiful and you sending heart emojis you're doing all of this stuff there's something that is going on inside you because you love this person it is new it is great they can't do any wrong he's saying that's the love that you have for Jesus and it should never wane but it wanes when we get distracted when other things takes place and other things become our affection, when we replace God with other people. So it affects everything and it changes everything. And so when we don't focus on the awe of Jesus and how much we love him, it takes us away. And we forget 
that my reason for doing everything is because he first loved me. That I didn't love him and he decided to love me back. But God loved me when I was dead in my sins. He loved me when I couldn't do anything else, when I could not get it right. He loved me right where I was. That should motivate you to change your life and live for him. When we as believers lose the awe of God, it affects everything else. If you are in church and you stop serving, don't look at the other people. Look at your relationship with God. Something else has fallen off. When you stop loving your spouse, don't look at your spouse. Look at your relationship with Jesus because the vertical relationship affects all horizontal relationships. And some of us have bad horizontal relationships because we've allowed things to distract us from our vertical relationship with God. So we have to remember what it was like to first fall in love with Jesus. But once you are in Christ, Something else changes. It says that he died for us and that we were raised to life with him. If you are a believer, here's what you need to understand. Modern cultural Christianity will tell you that God is here for you, that God is to be used by you to get you what you want, right? This is for you to live your best life. This is for you to accomplish all your goals. You just make up some stuff, figure out what you want to do, and ask God to bless it. But when you really understand what God did for us in Christ Jesus, you realize that you don't belong to yourself anymore. That nothing about you belongs to you, that you belong to God, that you are his prized possession, that you were bought with the price, that you were bought with the precious blood of Jesus. And so God doesn't just save us from our sins. He died to deliver us from the bondage of ourselves. Most of our problem ain't other people. Sometimes we just need to look in the mirror. And so, so he has died to, to deliver us from the bondage of ourselves. God has delivered us from narcissism that makes, we think, makes us think that we can be a better God than God. And so he has freed us from this futility, that there are so many things that work to draw us into ourselves, our accomplishments, our possessions, our passions, our downright selfish ambitions. But all it does is robs us and makes us useless in the kingdom. And so for, for all intents and purposes, I think the Apostle Paul is the right person to look at. Here's what he said in his letter to the church at Galatia. Here's what he said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He said this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's saying essentially is this. My life is for him. God's agenda over my agenda. God's life over my life. I have been called to live for him and not live for myself. So what does that look like? What does that look like? Here's what it looks like. It looks like you realize that wherever you are, whether you want to be there or not, God has you there right now for a reason. That at the job that you don't like, your job ain't your job. You're, just, you're actually a CIA agent on assignment. You are actually working for somebody else. 
that at the job that you see, when you understand this, it changes your whole perspective. When you realize that you have been put there by God to affect change in the world and be a salt and light in that place, it changes everything. So it no longer becomes a place I clock in and clock out of. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. And it's not my own, but it's for God. If I get a job promotion, it's so that I can give God glory in another place in this company. If I get more money, it is so that I can affect change in the kingdom. And so we have to adopt this idea that everything is not about us, but that we've been brought with the price and we belong to God. And that includes every area of our life. See, your, your, your marriage, your relationship is not about you. God put you there so that you can bring glory to him. You see, God put you with those coworkers, that person that annoys you to death. That, that's waiting to ask you, how was your weekend? And you're like, oh, my God. I just took a nap. No, I know you went on the boat. I don't care. Oh, we went water skiing. I, didn't, I don't have a jet ski. God put you there to be a light to that person. Man, my, my spouse, my, the person I'm in a relationship with, man, they're, they're tough to get along with. Maybe God called you to reflect his character to them. Man, I don't, these people at the church getting on my nerves. These people at the church are driving me back crazy. Maybe God even called you to be salt and light amongst the salt and light. <laughs> Maybe God called you to show others how to be the salt and light. Maybe God called you to show other people what serving looks like. Maybe you are supposed to be the example of selflessness. Maybe God put you in the family that you sometimes pray you wish you wasn't born into. Maybe God put you there for a reason. Maybe God put you there to maybe break some generational curses and show people what forgiveness looks like. To show people what consistency looks like. To show people what uh, uh, unconditional love looks like. Maybe God put you there for a reason. But when you're self-centered and everything is about you, it's hard to see that. And so God calls us, Paul is inviting us to adopt a new, a new way of seeing things, to adopt this new life. And so to be able to embrace this perspective, it won't come from me making a new commitment to God. It won't come from me making a New Year's resolution. It won't even come from me trying harder. It will require a new life. It requires a new life. Why would you say that? Here's what it says in verse 16 through 17. If you've got a Bible and you're following along, here's what it says. Here's what Paul says to him. From now on, then we don't even know anyone from a worldly perspective. We don't even look at people the same is what he's saying. E even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, even if we knew God from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Why, why Paul? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And what he's saying is he's giving people a new perspective and the new perspective comes from realizing that you have a new life. Do you know that when God saved you, he didn't modify your behavior? He didn't make slight changes to who you were? God gave you an entirely new person. You were essentially born again. The old you should have been died and gone away. And so when you got saved, God gave you an entirely new you. But for some reason, we keep, keep picking up the phone for the old us. And so salvation in Christ 
There's nothing different about us. Our, our attitude is still the same. Our perspective on relationships is still the same. Our perspective on money is still the same. Our perspective on work and our vocation is still the same. The way we view church is still the same. Like nothing changed about us. And here's my question. If the gospel is powerful and it's life-changing and it's life-giving, how is it that some of us still look the same as we were before? So that means one or two things. That either means you didn't change or you didn't get saved or it means that the power of the gospel ain't really that powerful. And let me give you the answer to the question. The gospel is powerful. It is life-changing. And so we say we are a believer, but we are the same person with the same stuff and the same attitudes, the same perspective. We undermine the power and the authority of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I don't know about you, but when I got saved, some stuff about my life changed entirely. I'm not saying I was perfect and I'm still not perfect, but there should be some fundamental differences in your life. People should be able to look at you and say, no, nah, you're different. But if no one notices any changes then maybe we should ask ourselves some questions. Am I a Christian in name only? Or did I really give my life to Jesus? We have to ask this. Because there's no gray area with God. God is not indifferent towards us. We don't have a casual relationship with God. There, there's this thing where you talk to people where people are like, oh, you saved, saved. Like, I'm kind of saved. Kind of saves like being kind of pregnant. I'm kind of with child. Either you are or you're not. I'm in between jobs. You either got a job or you don't. Ladies, if a guy tell you he in between jobs, don't fall for the okie doke. That brother ain't got no job. Do you, you got a house? Well, see, if he start off with well, see, he live with his mom. He's still at home. He's still at home. Don't, don't buy into this. You how is your credit? Well, I'm kind of working on it. He got bad credit. There are some things that are either true or false. And your salvation is one of them. Either you are saved or you're not. And so we have to realize that we cannot call ourselves Christian but still be the same as we were. And so God gives us this new life. It's kind of like a new car smell. New car smell is the best smell on earth. You get a new car and there, it, it just does something to your spirit. That, that new car, you want to hold on to it forever. You notice when you get a new car, you don't let people eat in the car. You're like, you're not bringing that McDonald's in my car. You, you don't let, you make people beat their feet off before they put their feet on your placemat. You remember you get a new car, you wash the car every week. You don't want no dust on your car. You be mindful of where you park at the mall. You park away from people. If you got in the car and somebody pull up next to you, you be looking at them like they better not hit my car door. You, you have all these things because you're trying to protect what's new. And you want to keep this new car smell. You want to keep the car the same way it was. And that's how our faith is. You should never lose your new car smell when you're in Christ. 
The problem is we've been letting too many people with McDonald's bags come into our lives and stinking up our lives. We've been letting too many people damage us and we've been putting ourselves too close to too many people and God has called us to keep the new car smell. To keep the new car smell. And so, there's a couple things that happen when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in verse 16. Here's what Paul says. From now on then, we don't see anyone from a worldly perspective. We, we don't look at Christ the same either. The first thing that we must recognize is when we're in Christ is that it changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see God. We no longer see Christ as just some good advice giver. We don't, we don't see him as just some deity we call on when we get in trouble. Rather, we see him as the crucified and risen Savior in whom we relinquish our rights and personal prerogatives and we surrender to his lordship. We, we have a new relationship with God. The idols of our heart is stripped away. God's saving work in his son Jesus has overturned all of our false values and our judgments and, they have, and God has captured our hearts. And so we see God in a new light. We stop seeing God as someone that is here to serve us, but we see that we have been called to serve him. So that changes everything. That changes everything. The second thing it does, and I think it's very important for us, when we're in Christ, it not only changes the way we see God, it changes the way we see other people. This is important for us. If you know the story of the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always called Paul. There's a different name that he had. His name was Saul. If you read the Bible and go home, he gets introduced to us in the early chapters of the book of Acts, the beginning of the church. The Apostle Paul, if you don't know, you haven't been in church, it's fine, I'll tell you who he is. He writes a large portion of the New Testament. Writes a lot of letters in the New Testament. God called him to be... um, more so the messenger to the Gentiles, to engraft all people into the faith. Paul's the greatest theologian that ever lived. And so when we find Paul and we're introduced to Paul, Paul is not a preacher. When we find Paul, Paul is murdering Christians. Paul is murdering Christians. I know you think you got a past, but I'm here today to tell you your past ain't really that bad. Like, he's got the past of all pasts. He, he's literally murdering Christians. He, he, he is so zealous for what he believes that he wants to exterminate all Christians. And then something happens on a road called Damascus. He has an encounter with God. And the encounter that the Apostle Paul has with God changes everything. It changes Paul. It changes the way he views God but it also changes the way he views people. And the person that was once killing Christians is now doing everything he can to save the life of Christians. It changes everything. How do you see people? Do you see people as some instrument to use to get what you want? Or do you see people as image bearers? Do you see the coworker that you try to avoid that wants to ask you about your weekend? Do you see them as a nuisance or do you see them as someone who bears God's image? Do you see the family member that you feel a certain way about? 
Do you see them as in a nuisance to you, a nuisance to you? Do you see them as somebody that you could do without? Or do you see them in their imperfections but still see them as an image bearer? Do you see the people that you live in the house with that you have disregard for at times, that they are hard to love at times? Do you see them as people who are in your way that you wish you could get rid of? Or do you see them as people who've been made in God's image? See, when you've been saved by God, it doesn't, it doesn't make you look judgmental upon people. It makes you see people through the lens of Jesus. And what does he want to do? He wants to save people and bring them into a relationship with God. Do you see people as instruments to use or do you see people that God has called you to love upon? It changes everything. Maybe God puts you in that family to be the one to break the cycle of harboring unforgiveness. Maybe God put you in that family to break the curse of inconsistency in parenting. Maybe God called you to be the father that never leaves. Maybe God has called you to mother, to be the mother that's always nurturing. Maybe God has called you to be the sibling that shows other siblings how to forgive. Maybe God put you at that job not to use people so that you can step on them on the way up the corporate ladder, but maybe God put you at that job to be the salt and light, to save people. When we get saved, we're in Christ. It changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see people. And lastly, it changes our purpose. It changes the way we see our lives. We go from being purpose-driven people to Christ-driven people. We go from being purpose-driven to being Christ-driven, that everything that we do is because of Christ. Everything that we do is to further and advance the kingdom of God. Are you at your job for you or are you at your, God, your job for God? Do you know that if God took the breath out of your lungs, you wouldn't be able to go to work tomorrow? But we go with our own selves in mind. And what God is trying to do is radically change the way we think. He's radically trying to change the way we see him, the way we see people, and the way we see our own lives. Yes, you have a purpose. Yes, you have a calling. Yes, you have an assignment. But maybe it's not about you. And I know that's hard for you to, you to, you to, you to fathom that because we have so many life experts and life coaches on social media. Everybody, if you got a phone and you got a camera on it, you can become an expert. You, you too can have your own social media following. All you need is an iPhone 11. You, you too can become an, everybody's an expert on something. I'd be like, I'd be like, how, how are you giving financial advice and you don't even have no, like, how are you giving relationship advice and you on your 15, how are you, how, what, when did everybody become an expert? But that's what happens when we birth out of generation of selfish self-serving, self-ambitious people. And everybody is about the come up, but nobody's about the come down. And the life of a believer is not about the come up, it's about the come down because we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And so maybe you don't have a job of your dreams. I do. Well, sometimes I feel like that. <laughs> Maybe you don't have the career that you've always dreamed of. 
But could it be God wants to use you right where you are? And you're missing the blessing to grow in him because you keep complaining. You get to heaven and you're disappointed. And you're like, man, man. Lord, I was trying. I was doing. I was doing. I went here and I switched over here and I, I moved over here and I did this. And he was like, but I called you to be faithful right where I had you. I called you to show up on time at the job you had when you were making minimum wage. Lord, Lord I, I, I cut my family off. I cut them off. I, I cut my family off. It's like, I didn't call you to cut your family off. I called you to love the unlovable. We have to stop seeing our lives as belonging to us. But it has to belong to the one that has saved us. For many of you, I know that doesn't excite, excite you. You're not going to run around the church on that, and that's fair. But some of our disappointment is because we've put ourselves at the forefront. That we've erected ourselves and made ourselves idols. And God has called us to tear down the idol of self and put him in his rightful place. Think about your life. What has God called me to do? I tell you what he's called you to do. Here's what it says, and I'm done. Here's what it says in verses 18 through 20. Everything is from God who has reconciled us himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead to the world on Christ's behalf. Here's what we say. Be reconciled to God. If you've ever wondered what your purpose is, if you've ever wondered why, 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 why am I here? No matter where you work or what you do or what you get your degree in, the assignment is still the same. God has called us to be ministers of reconciliation to the world. That we've been called to bring and compel people back to Christ. That we can do all of the things in this world to promote social justice, and we should. We can do all of the things in this world to, to make sure that we have peace and to feed the homeless and to help those who need our help. But things won't be right until Jesus returns. Things won't be right until hearts have changed. And so we can change all of the laws. We can do prison reform. We can do all kind of social economic changes. And I believe we should do all of that. But the real issue are not the laws. The real issue is that hearts need to be changed. And so until we understand that, until we understand that we have a role, we play a role in affecting change through the gospel of Jesus Christ and being ministers of reconciliation and being ambassadors of Christ, until we realize that, we will always be disappointed. Because as long as you do what you want to do for you, then the outcome and the results are predicated upon what you can do. But when we live for him and we're on mission for him, the outcome is not up to us. It's up to God, and he never fails. He never fails. And so this year, 
Consider, am I measuring my life by outward things or am I measuring my life by how God has changed me in my heart? How do I view God? Do I view him as a deity to use, to bless me, to forgive me for my sins only? Do I see it from a right perspective that he has called me, he's redeemed me, that my life is not my own and I've been called to live for him? How do I see other people? Do I see other people as something to use for my agenda? Or do I see other people as image bearers that God took the time to make? Do I love people who are unlovable? Do I bear with other people? Do I exercise the same grace to them that I exercise to myself? Everybody's got grace for themselves, but do you have grace for other people? Do, do you have the grace for people that struggle with something different than you? God has called us to love people, to, to love them as image bearers. And thirdly, how do I see my own life? Am I on mission for me or am I on mission for God? We've been bought with a price. We are his possession. And he's given us a message. And that's the message of reconciliation. That we've been called to tell the world that God has made peace with them through his son Jesus. That, that though the world, us included, were once enemies of the cross, enemies of God, that because of his son, we can now be called friends of God. That's the message of reconciliation. Yo, man, I don't, I don't know you. I, don't, I see you walking around. I see you here and there. Or sis, I, I see you. I see you. I just, I don't know you, but I love to take you to lunch. I just want to get to know you a little bit. And hey, I want to let you know, man, that it matters to God about your life. That God doesn't have a neutral perspective towards you. That God has made way for you to be reconciled to him through his son, Jesus. Do you know that you can be a friend of God? That you don't have to see God as some faraway deity, but that God is your friend through his son, Jesus, if you would just receive and believe in the finished work on the cross? I just want to tell you that, that if you ever decide to be God's friend, that, there's, that he's waiting on you, that he loves you, that he made you, that he's giving you a, a purpose to live for him. It is as simple as that. But we have no problem talking about the game, and you should talk about the game, because I do. We have no problem talking about where we got a haircut. We have no problem talking about where we bought a car or where we bought clothes or who did our hair or who did our nails. But when it comes to something that will save people's lives, we get shy. And God has called us to boldly proclaim, lovingly and boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that we no longer have to be his enemies, but that we can be his friends. He's called us to live on mission. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for everything. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.